Thank you for joining us for episode two of the Beer and Bible podcast. Um, we had 69 listeners last time, and this is our fourth attempt now at recording this one. Yeah, we're having technical difficulties. We're using a Chromebook, so it's all Google's fault. But um, we did record the we did record this episode originally after the last one, and the internet ate that one. But we want to thank the 69 people who did listen to us last time. Hopefully, um, you're listening again at least to the beginning, maybe. But um, this is episode two. We're going to continue our discussion on new creation. My name is Paul. I'm a reluctant shipped shipper. And I'm Dan Marsalis. And I do more than just chicken micro-farming. You do? Apparently, I didn't get that far last time. You did. It was micro-farming and Jesus. That was was it. Yeah. So people at work um, have had fun with that. But I was a micro-farmer that loves Jesus in the last episode. But the reality is... (laughs) I'm in the ministry, and uh, my day job is designing office furniture. Carpentry, like Jesus. Is that more accurate than the micro farmer? I don't know. Should we, we should have your wife on the podcast one time and I, ask her. I just got too nervous last time. I don't know. Chicken farming is all that came out. I do have chickens. You do have I chickens. I wasn't lying. No. If you want eggs, you're the person to talk to. Yep. So, sales pitch. I mean, yep. we don't have Fair advertisers enough. yet. Yep. Or ever, probably. But um, to recap our last episode, um, we were making the case last time for new creation. Um, we claim that it has begun or it began with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Um, we read and commented on different passages ranging from Isaiah and John, Paul's writings, um, to the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. And we all believe they're pointing to this idea of God's new creation having begun already and that we're currently living in kind of this overlap between the old and the new creation. Yeah, and there's an awesome quote from N.T. Wright in his book, Why Christianity, or sorry, Simply Christian, Why Christianity Makes Sense. Um, and I want to start out our discussion with that because um, N.T. Wright's a hero of mine. And he's British and he has a cool accent. Yes, yep. He's an awesome writer, so highly recommend N.T. Wright. Uh, made for spirituality, we wallow in introspection. Made for joy, we settle for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we insist on our own way. Made for beauty, we are satisfied with sentiment. But new creation has already begun. The sun has begun to rise. Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Jesus Christ all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of the present world. That, quite simply, is what it means to be Christian, to follow Jesus Christ into the new world, God's new world which he has thrown open before us. So one of the things that really sticks out there as we were talking before we started recording was um, this difference between we are made for justice, but we clamor for vengeance. Yeah. And that our original creation, and not even our original creation, but what we are created for in Christ is justice. But we still get these tugs at vengeance, because ven- with vengeance comes power. We feel like we're powerful, mm-hmm. and we, we feed into that. So how would you, what do you think about the, kind of the difference between justice and vengeance there and how that fits in new creation because you look around the world and everybody's seeking vengeance like who's got the biggest nuke to drop on the next person well yeah there's that and there's also all the movies where you know they set us up to cheer for this guy to come back and exact his revenge count him on a cristo you know, yeah. movies like that. Um, Liam Neeson has made a like really that. good, uh, de- like the whole Taken series. You take my kids, yeah. now I'm coming to get you. Yep, yep. We like that. We like it because there's a sense that justice is being done. 
but it falls way short. And when justice comes with violence, um, it's acting outside of the bounds of the new creation. And so there's many times where we will desire for this justice that takes the form of uh, bloody vengeance. And what we're really doing is deciding to participate in the old world systems. And we're begging for vengeance in all the old world ways. And uh, the message of Christianity is that Jesus has dealt with that, that we are post-judgment in a sense. Of course, there's like the now and not yet, that there's more judgment coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this idea that Jesus came and he judged the world and that judgment looks like loving us enough to die on the cross. So you would say that, so I think we would both argue that um, justice, true justice, justice inside the new creation doesn't take the form of violence or revenge. It doesn't take the one-upsmanship of you did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you. I mean, mm-hmm. we, teach, we teach our kids that just because somebody does something to do you doesn't mean you retaliate. But as we get older, I feel like we kind of clamor for that. Mm-hmm. We think that is justice. We've perverted justice in essence. Yeah, yeah justice becomes more of uh, removing people <laughs> yeah. from the picture that are committing acts of injustice. And, or, yeah, and, and, and there's kind of a role for it, or actually, I don't know if there's a role for for, for in Christians. When we seek justice, um, how do we seek it without being vengeful? I think, for me, part of that is where I'm not fighting against somebody else, but I'm fighting for the person who has the injustice has been perpetrated to. I think the the perspective is dis, is different. Yeah, I think that think that we really need to be careful as Christians when we claim to be following Jesus who said um, to love your enemies and do good to those that hurt you. If there was ever a time for anyone to want to exact revenge or bring about justice, it would be Jesus at his trial. Yeah, And he had every opportunity in the world to tell the Jews, okay, hey, yeah, I'm ready to do this Jewish zealot thing now. Let's get revenge on the Romans. And the crowd would have sided for him. Yeah. Um, But the reality is he chose to bring about a reconciliation of the Gentiles and the Jews. And that's what his death and resurrection ultimately began. And you have that distinction even um, during his trial between Jesus and Barabbas. Yeah, where the people are literally clamoring for the zealot who wants to go and kill all the Romans, mm-hmm. and they're saying, "Crucify the one who's looking for peace, mm-hmm. who's looking, who healed the, who healed the um, ill and fed the poor and all that." They want him to be crucified because they still have this idea that their justice will be the defeating of the Roman Empire. Yeah, and once that happens, the world will be a better place. Yep, and there's a passage somewhere. I'm drawing a blank on it right now, but they believed that the rest of the world was going to come and essentially lick the dust off their feet and that they'd all have like thousands of servants. Um, so they believed that the whole world was coming to Judaism in a sense. Yeah. And Jesus shows up and stands in the gap of the Gentile um, empires and the Jewish people and says differently. And I think that Jesus's example on the cross should be disarming to us when we clamor for violent revenge. Um, 
because if, if there was any ever a time in which it would have been justified, it would have been there. Well, he even says during his trial that if I could call down a legion of, of angels and take mm-hmm. care of this right now, yeah, if I wanted to, yeah, my kingdom's not, not of a- this world. If it was, my servants would be fighting for it. Yeah, and that's that. I mean, that's a kind of like a divide right there mm-hmm. about how Jesus views what humanity is created for or their intent is or their purposes in life is not for that violence but it's for that but but we still seek justice yeah we still try and we still fight for against oppression we fight these things but we don't do it in the way that leads to more death and destruction and violence there and i've heard people argue well how do you do that then how am i supposed to go and free people or help people who are being oppressed without hurting somebody else yeah well, it's hard because there's there's what can we do on our own and in those situations, but we have a whole legal system too. Yeah. So like a lot of times we end up subjecting people to or we are subjected to the laws of the land, the legal system, and that can quite honestly be a joke. Yeah. You know, the people that get to walk sometimes ought not walk and the people that should be um, set free – um, are not given a fair trial. So our legal system has created this unrest when it comes to justice, mm-hmm. and we desire more. Yeah. Um, I think of all the stuff with the police officer, not to go political, but um, in recent past, all the hands up, don't shoot, all those movements that were trying to clamor for justice. But if you looked within some of those circles, there was a lot of clamoring for vengeance vengeance yeah and there's and there's a distinction between the two yeah justice is making it right again vengeance is inflicting pain on somebody that you that inflicted pain upon you as well Mm -hmm. there's there is a huge difference between justice and vengeance yeah the call of the christian is to desire blessing upon those who have been unjust and that's what's hard it is hard because I feel like culturally we've been told all the time that we need vengeance. Mm-hmm. If you have been wronged, the way to have it be – the way for it to make it right is if somebody else feels the pain that you felt during that time. And that, again, is contrary to what Jesus says on the cross and what Stephen says when he's being stoned, when it's, Father, mm-hmm. forgive them. Yeah. That's justice. Yeah. And bless and do not curse. Yeah. Um, love your enemy. If he strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other. Um, we we really don't need to. I don't think we need to stand up and try and defend the fact that Jesus was trying to teach us a new way. No, but that new way is given to us through new creation. Yeah, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, through the teachings of Christ, we have entrance into the new creation now. That's why we're talking mm-hmm. about the overlap that happens. So not only do we should we be clamoring for justice. But we should be seeking it. And that's not reposting things on Facebook or shooting money for different places. That's actually living a just life. Mm-hmm. That is not seeking revenge when things happen to you. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah. And it's counterintuitive to what you've been, what we, we are brought up learning, even in church. Even in church. We, we, we've heard it, and I've probably given messages on it where it's, there is just violence and then you try and justify that through Jesus' teaching, and it's really impossible, I want to go with. It becomes difficult to even reconcile the majority of the Bible 
to the teachings of Christ. Yeah, no, it does. Well, that's a whole nother. Like, that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, Fifty-two episode if, podcast if right Jesus there. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Why do we constantly go to all these other passages and say, "Oh no, look, there's still violence. It's okay. It's okay, guys. You can still want vengeance that ends in bloodshed." Because we we, we believe it's self-preservation. Yeah. But Jesus wasn't about self-preservation, which is a totally different. Oh, this is. Yeah, we're just talking about justice and violence. I mean, vengeance. We could go a lot. There's more we're talking about. There's a lot of justice. Uh, but the church's role should be on the forefront of justice movements, not yeah. politically, not necessarily maybe using political veins here and there, but not siding with a political party. But they shouldn't be waiting for justice movements and jumping onto a justice movement they should be at the forefront of the justice movements mm-hmm. because then they're able to define justice biblical or in the in light of new creation mm-hmm. instead of jumping on somebody else's bandwagon here's um here's a crazy thought if we're christians and if we're using uh christian ideology in the ways of jesus to determine how we define things can we really have justice Unless it is reconciling. No. That's not justice. Not not in the sense from not in a biblical Jesus teaches. Yeah, not yeah. In, not new creation justice. Right. That's old world let's get vengeance justice. And so so I think a lot of this has to do with we have to actually view people in new creation. Yeah. We have to view people in the light of how Jesus views them. <clears throat> so Second Chronicles, uh, Corinthians, um, I'm going to start in chapter 5, start with verse 16 and 17, it says this, um, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. It's a very famous new creation verse there. Um, one that's probably familiar, and we read that last week too, yep. didn't we? What does it look like to not regard people according to the flesh? <laughs> that's rough, because we define each other in, for lack of a better word, fleshly ways. Yep. Um, we define each other through nationalism, where we're born, mm-hmm. who we're born to. Um, we, def- we define each other, or we actually ascribe value to each other that way. Yeah. Um, if you were born in a country, let's say Haiti, maybe you might not get as much value as somebody else might have said. I'm not talking about somebody <laughs> specific. It's interesting that we both went there. <laughs> yeah. But even current uh, events. Current events, yeah. <laughs> they, but the idea that we, if somebody is of more, of higher value to us, doctors, lawyers, more mm-hmm. than micro farmers, I don't know. I mean, nothing yeah. personal against micro farmers. Yeah. But we do that. We, judge each other according to this weird scale of what is important to the flesh. Mm-hmm. If you have more degrees, you're more important. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, our vocation, there's our class, race. I think the big ones that the Bible is addressing, because I would say that the Gospels address all those things in different ways, but by and large, the issue of the New Testament is racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you got Samaritans, for example. I mean, when Jesus <clears throat> yep. speaks to the Samaritan woman, that is cultural taboo right there. He's, she's a woman and she's a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. But then he tells 
her. One day we will um, worship together in yeah. truth. Yeah. To a, a Samaritan woman. That's crazy. Yeah, there's also... So the difference would be inside of the new creation, as Paul writes um, in the book of Galatians, he says, for as many of you who were baptized into Christ um, have put on Christ, therefore neither Jew nor Greek, neither is uh, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So where the conflict in the we see in the Old Testament is kind of like the... The Israelites trying to keep to themselves mm-hmm. in the new creation is this idea that those identities that they so held onto so tightly in Christ, they while the, while there still are Jews and Greeks inside of Christ, those identities aren't what they're holding onto. That's not their primary being or essence of who they are. Mm-hmm. Well, that passage pretty much um, covers everything. You've got race. You've got class and you've got gender and it's saying that all those things have been done away with in the new creation that if you're in christ you are abraham's offspring heirs according to promise so i I would almost say that if we continue to view people that way if we continue to view them through nationalistic perspective of what nation they're part of or if we continue to view them in a caste system of who's more important because of where they are in the social structure, or if they're more important because they're male over female, or even the other way around, um, that we are still looking at the world through this old creation, broken, fallen perspective. Mm-hmm. And that when we do that, we are not walking as Christ walked this earth. Yeah, exactly. I like that it says in verse 29 of that Galatians 3 passage, it says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So he uses this throwback to Abraham, who was called to be a blessing to all nations. And, hey, you're going to have a big family. It's going to turn into a massive nation. And your job on the earth is to be a blessing to all the other nations. And then the rest of the Bible is them not being a blessing to other nations. Yes, kind of being a curse sometimes. I mean, and I I feel like sometimes the church is the same way, that even though we are this new creation and we're called to be a blessing to all, Mm -hmm. that sometimes we do more harm than good. Yeah. Generally. I'm not, this is a general statement. There are churches that do good things. There are Christians that do Mm -hmm. well. But when we get in bed with the old way of doing things, yeah. then we fail. Yep. Usually it's a marriage to the empire or something along those lines. Yeah. Thinking of early Catholic church days or um, definitely the Crusades. That's a low point. Yeah. Salem witch trials. <laughs> there are <laughs> lots of low points in church history. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. usually those low points are, are tied to the fact that they get involved with nation building, the idea of propping up a country yeah. or propping up an ideal that is not connected to Christ. Yeah, or gender bias or class bias. Yeah. So the new creation, and, and the hard thing to do is actually, because we grow up categorizing people, that to when we when we have this realization that we are when we are in Christ and others who are in Christ that we need to strip down those um, stere- not even stereotypes, those biases that we have against those people. It's a hard thing to change. It's a reprogramming of the mind. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's not just a spiritual interaction that happens. It's a, um, a renewing of the mind, as Paul might have put it once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really want to go back to that Second Corinthians passage when we were talking about, um, it was in chapter 5, we cut off at 17, but I think we should finish that out because I think when it comes to how do we regard nobody according to the flesh and how do we um, live in such a way that we don't view the gender biases, race, or class, um, how do we reprogram ourselves for that or be about the work of teaching others yeah. to not be um, that way. This passage is awesome. So Second Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The ministry of reconciliation. That's a that's a that's an interesting one because for me sometimes and and this is something I have to fight is this idea that some people are worthy of reconciliation because I look at them in this caste system and other people are not worthy of reconciliation they've they've done too much to be reconciled to God or to family and that's an awful way to view the world yeah and it's the wrong way to view the world because being and being a minister of reconciliation. As it, as it says here, it says that God, uh, that Christ God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting any of their trespasses against them. Yeah. That's hard. It's but hard. it's what we're called to do. Because then he's, he goes on to say that we are entrusted with this message of reconciliation. Yeah. I like that word entrust because a lot of us want to say, well, this new creation thing, this is just so bogus because I don't see it. Well... Maybe it's because the people that have been entrusted with the message have taken it a lot of other directions over the years. That's a hard thing to hear. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If Christianity from day one was supposed to be about reconciling people groups rather than dividing them, I think we've had a lot of low points. Yeah. But I also believe that there are people um, that have stood in the gap and been those ministers of reconciliation that this passage is talking about. So when when we talk about ministry of reconciliation, it talks about here the idea that God is reconciling the world to himself. And and doing that, he's not counting anything that humanity has done. Their trespasses, he doesn't hold them against them. But then we are to take this message of reconciliation to the world. A lot of people sometimes, or there are people in this world who view God as somebody who does make those divisions. Like you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Um, because that's what the church has said for such a long time. You're in, you're out. Um, how does how should our perspective of new creation when we live life? Because somebody said somebody asked us to make this practical. Practical. Who needs this message of reconciliation to God? 
I mean, everybody, obviously, but yeah. I mean, who is a church cast out and cast aside? Um, do you think, I mean, I can say just from a general perspective that politics has divided the church. Oh, yeah. It hasn't reconciled the church. That there are people who are on both sides of the political aisle who probably don't talk to each other. Yeah. And they're not about the recon- they're not about reconciling themselves to each other. They're all about whose politics are more important and better than the other. Yeah. And how can you say that you're a Christian if you voted for so and so? Exactly. I mean, that is a that happens. It it does. Mm-hmm. It, and that is not a message of reconciliation. No. That's definitely old world tactics. Yeah, divide and conquer. Yeah. If yeah. if I can divide, if I can say who's with me and who's against me, I can see the people who are against me in my political ways. So therefore, I can go and conquer them, for lack of a better, or convince mm-hmm. them of another way. Yeah, or it goes back to uh, the Jewish belief that, well, yes, everybody's supposed to be reconciled, but they're all going to be reconciled to me. Yeah, and we're not in the ministry of reconciling people unto ourselves no. <laughs> or our ways. You know, yeah. we are to be reconciling them to God. And God's a lot bigger and a lot more generous than we are. And that for us is the we as Christians need to step outside of the parameters of politics, religion, um, gender, and caste system to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. We have to look at people not that we do, we have to stop looking at people that way to be able to fully give the message of reconciliation. Because as soon as we start giving a message of reconcil- reconciliation that is only for some, that's not the rec- message that Christ came to bring. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> be nice to each other. Yeah, and honestly, it goes even beyond niceties. Oh, yeah. I think it's hard. I think sometimes reconciliation is really hard. I think the things that need to be said hurt. I look at Jesus and some of the things he said. Um, You have uh, the rich young ruler that comes to him and says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, all right, go sell all your possessions. Why? Because it's bad to have money? No, because he had plenty of other, I mean, Joseph of Arimathea, rich guy, follower of Jesus. There's plenty of rich people following Jesus, but this guy had made it his world. And it became something that defined him. And Jesus wanted him to give it away. So I want to quote somebody here. This this wasn't part of what the rundown or anything we we're going to talk about today. Um, but Branson Parler, Brooke Parler's um, brother, is a teacher at um, my mind went blank. Kuiper. Um, he tweeted this out this morning. He says, "In the Gospels, good people struggle to give up good things to follow Jesus far more than sinners struggle to give up their sin to follow Jesus. As a good person, Jesus constantly unsettles me." Is this idea that the, that these um, that we need to, that the teachings of Jesus actually unsettle us because we still consider ourselves good at times and we have these divisions because when we divide people up between us and them, us is always good, mm-hmm. and that's where we struggle to follow Jesus because we still think that our way of doing things is the right way or the better way. I think largely it's about becoming very generous people, mm-hmm. generous in what we are willing to. Um, accept, and I don't mean that in the sense of sin, but I, I think even about churches and the way that we look at each other. You know, a contemporary church is going to look at a more liturgical church and be like, oh, they're 
old and boring. Or a liturgical church might be like, oh, look at those losers with their light shows and um, skinny jean worship leaders, you know? (laughs) And we have even among churches those sorts of looking down on each other rather than acknowledging that each of them has a place in this new world that God is creating. Yeah. So the as if we are entrusted, like you said before, the idea of entrusted is God has given us this message and it is ours to protect, but mm-hmm. ours also not to pollute and corrupt. And we are entrusted to take this message of reconciliation out to the world. And then he goes on and says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we're, we're, we're on God's behalf coming here on earth saying, this reconciliation is available for all humanity. Mm-hmm. And this reconciliation is about the, the equality of people found in Christ, yeah. not about some hierarchy that is built. Once you've come into this new creation, there isn't like a hierarchy outside and a new hierarchy inside where there's people who are more important than others. It's this idea that the appeal is inside of here. All, all are welcome, could we say? I definitely believe all are welcome. Yeah. I think that's central to the message of the Gospels and Paul. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that. I think that if we want to go back to Jesus and his parables again, there's the parable of the wedding feast where the people that were invited, uh, they don't want to go. They have better things to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then the people that are just like in the streets hanging out, or in the bars hanging out, or just doing whatever, um, the attendants go out and bring them in. Yeah. But then towards the end of the parable, there's this weird situation where they just let everybody come in off the street. But <laughs> Just keep bringing them in. He's yeah. like, whoever, go, go to the outskirts of yeah. town and find them. But there's a guy who decided not to put on wedding clothes, and he gets cast out. And that always didn't, like, that never really settled well with me. Because it was like, wait a second, you just grabbed everybody short notice and you brought them in. But notice that nobody else is being chastised. Like, everybody got dragged in. Yeah. So it's not like anybody had time to change um, of their own accord. The reality is that once you get brought in to the wedding banquet or the new creation, you are changed. And if you refuse to be changed and you decide that this new creation thing isn't for me, I like my racism or I like... Um, my prestige that comes with my wealth, or I like my power. You know, I'm a government official. I, I my identity is wrapped up in that power. I think that's the moment when people don't have their wedding clothes on. Yeah, because they're not they're they're not finding their their identity in who Christ is. They find their identity in all mm-hmm. those other things that we tend to judge people by instead of the of the gracious and merciful thing that God offers, which is mm-hmm. acceptance to all. Yeah, and if we want to go back to Eden, we talked about naked people last week, yeah. so we might as well do it now. And we had somebody who Googled, was it Jesus and naked people, was it? Yeah, and I told them not to. You told them not to, and she did. Yeah. But shouldn't we won't, we won't say who did that. Yeah, shouldn't have done that. No, she shouldn't. <laughs> She's on a government watch list, I think. So we, to wrap this around to old creation, it's almost like the idea that as you come into the new creation, you take off all the garments of your gender, your privilege, your race, all these different things, and your identity and your clothing becomes Christ. Mm -hmm. And 
if you choose to try to take part in the new creation, but you don't want to give those things up, I think that's that moment where you realize that you are going to get thrown out of the wedding. (laughs) Because you no longer really want to be in the wedding. You no longer want to be part of that new creation. If you're holding on to all those old things, there's no reason to be part. You're not comfortable. You're not part of it. You're not enacting in it. Right. And that's that. So I don't think it's God saying, you are kicking you out, you I'm keeping. I think it's a conscious decision that somebody's Mm -hmm. making to say, this way that you guys are talking about new creation, the way of Christ, or as um, they originally put it, the way, it's not for me. I like my power. I like my Mm -hmm. greed. Like you said, my racism, my bigotry, my misogyny, and all that. I like those things. Yeah. And some people do. Some people do, and some people take pride in it. And there's a lot of churches that enable them to take pride in those things. Yeah. Um, but I've said before, it's probably one of the more provocative things I've said in front of a church, but I said one day that of all the sinners, um, that I believe that racists wouldn't be in heaven. And I'm using, you know, I guess coin terminology, evangelical framework to frame this. So, <laughs> what, with heaven, you mean? Yeah, yeah with okay. heaven. You yeah, know, the harbs. Yeah, yeah, the harbs and everything. <laughs> but the idea that... If there's going to be people of all races coming together in one place, that's the last place a racist wants to be. Yeah. And I think that when um, our desire for power or our desire to be uh, supreme and somehow to other people, when that gets in the way of our following Jesus, then we opt out of this new creation. So to make this a ver- to make it applicable, practical, for something for people to take away from this today – this whole idea of this new creation, how do we walk in it? How do we stop? Because we all have prejudices. We all, I mean, mm-hmm. if we don't think we have a prejudice, we're, we're wrong. I mean, yeah. we, we all have whole different prejudices. How do we get rid of those? How do we walk away from that? Because there's fear attached to some of that. That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard practical thing to do is to put down our stereotypes and our preconceived ideas of what a person X is going to be like. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a gut impulse to feel something, you know, whether it's you're sitting at your dinner table on Thanksgiving and somebody brings up their political candidate that they just voted for, um, or if it's um, actually deep-seated resentment against a particular people group. Yeah, I think that if you have those those gut instinct moments where you feel that welling up, you have options at that point. And it's not just the option to not do something racist. It's the option to reject those thoughts, mm-hmm. to correct yourself, to slap your own wrist and say, hey, why is that there? That's not right. So the idea of new creation isn't that there are people out there who are not ra- who, who don't have all these prejudices and are walking in this new creation all the time. This idea of new creation is the new creation is overlapping the old creation. So there's that struggle constantly inside of all of us mm-hmm. to fight that old creation, to yeah. fight those things that we have been ingrained with. And over, I don't know, is it, is it over time or like you said, this conscious decision to slap your own wrist and say, what the hell is that thought doing in my mind? I need yeah. to to do something better. I need to fight it. Mm-hmm. And that's where we fight our, the own injustices and stuff that are in our own heads. Yeah. And then do it into the, do go into the world and make a difference. Yeah. 
And at that Thanksgiving dinner conversation, we need to realize that we're not ambassadors of a political party. We're ambassadors of Christ. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we start beating people over the head saying, well, I can't believe you voted for so-and-so because I'm an ambassador for Christ and you should have voted with the, <laughs> with with Christ Yeah, because Jesus doesn't vote. You should have written like Jesus in there in the ballot box. No, but it's, it's also this idea that saying, okay, so going with the political route because we're there and we've, we're drinking so that we're going to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, for that debate around the Thanksgiving table, it's not a, a political debate of who's right and who's wrong. It's saying that those systems, whichever side, have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. That that we you can't argue Democrat, Republican, Independent. It's they all are stained in some way because they're still part of this system that judges people based on their ability, their age, their social circles, their gender, where they're born. Each one of those parties. Ju- du- tries to manipulate somebody to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Where the kingdom of God is not about manipulating anybody to get what you want. It's bringing them in mm-hmm. and reconciling the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling them to God and you to them. And sometimes it's us sit, look, sitting down with some th- issue or some person that we have if we have racist tendencies and admitting it to somebody of that race. Yeah. That is the ministry of reconciliation there, saying I have an issue and I don't like the issue that I have. Confess, ask forgiveness, yeah. Yeah. that's And that's what the church should be promoting, is the, the, the idea of admitting our faults as a church and as individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think that for those, for those listening that are not Christian or don't profess to be... Um, religious or have faith because I know we have some listeners like that I would like them to know that what the new creation means is that they're included in what is happening Yep. Um, and how they're included is not only the open door that exists to them but also we who are agents of the new cre- new creation and uh, ambassadors of Christ should be changing the world around them so that it begins to reflect new creation a little more. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we can convince them um, at some point <laughs> that God is doing things. Yeah. And that he does have agents that are seeking to be reconcilers peacemakers and for those of the, the people who listen who are christians that struggle with the nationalism versus kingdom of god idea it's okay to wrestle with that mm-hmm. it's okay rest if you're not struggling with that then we have issues mm-hmm. if you don't have that tension in your life then then but what we need to understand is i mean we we have this idea of seeking first the kingdom of god before anything else and then we pray that God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Those shouldn't be the things that we casually say and pray, but they should be the things that drive us in our interaction with humanity, creation, and everybody around us. Empathy and all these things. Not saying, well, the law states this, so we need to do this. It's the idea that there is empathy that Christians should have towards injustices, even if they're legal injustices. 
inside mm-hmm. of a country's nationalistic make America great again philosophy. <laughs> yeah. But I think – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say I think the the major difference of how we could choose to behave today if there was an altar call moment in this whole thing <laughs> Come to the altar. is we can choose to be empire builders or we can choose to be gardeners. Yeah. And the way you build an empire is usually upon the blood of enemies <laughs> and you build it brick by brick and no empire has been built without the use of slaves to my knowledge. Or the shedding of blood if, and if violence. You, yeah, and, yeah, if you know of one, please correct me, but I can't think of an empire that has not used slaves and um, position and wealth to control and build the empire. On the opposite hand, gardening is about um, restoring the earth, and it's about everybody getting their hands dirty and being in this together and taking joy in the little things. Um, that's one thing that's cool about gardening is when you first start to see um, some things coming up out of the ground, there's excitement there. Yeah. And it happens organically and naturally. It didn't have to be through <laughs> um, the blood of an enemy. You're not beating the ground yeah. with a hammer saying, come on, give me right. beats. Right. It happens so naturally. And, and it need- comes from, from, from tender care as well. Yeah. It, it, you're tending to something. Yeah, we're reconciling the earth and um, making making it to bring about good for all. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Christians, we need to be less and less about empire building. We need to check ourselves and uh, look for those moments in which we are invested into the empire. And part of the, that is also we've been talking about not viewing people um, through their age, social status, and all that. But it's also not holding on to that ourselves, not viewing ourselves that way, stripping our own identity from those things. Those aren't mm-hmm. – that's not what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. So – Good talk. Good, yeah. Um, obviously, I cracked open a second beer during that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan's drinking today. Uh, Burnt City – uh, Brewing's Face Melter Hibiscus IPA. Face Melter? <laughs> it's uh, made in Chicago. I went outside of Michigan. I apologize, all you well, Michigan elitists. Well, uh, was that somebody was asking about if we were going to drink Budweiser on here sometime? Absolutely not. It's the King of Beers. I mean, we got no, King Jesus, not. the King of Beers. No? No. Okay. That's definitely Empire product. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richard Church. We are not going to be drinking Budweiser on here. Um, I had uh, Founders Mosaic Promise this time. Local Michigan Grand Rapids one again. Um, it's got Mosaic Hops and Golden Promise Malt. It's really quite good. It's hoppy. Um, but we both bought ours at the Mini Mart here in Belden. <laughs> yeah, so if they want to endorse us anytime soon, that would yeah. be sweet. We will take free beer. We I don't know if they record- can legally do that. I don't know if they can either. But um, thank you for putting up with us if you made it all the way to the end. Um, our next topics that we're going to be discussing is going to be baptism and... The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. The Eucharist. Communion. Yeah. There's multiple words for that one. So... Yeah. So we're excited to add some depth to those um, very old, old practices. Yeah. 
I think baptism is definitely a lot older than anybody thinks it is. Oh, it goes back. It goes yeah. back pre-Christ, obviously. Yeah. We got John, but we got even yeah. before that. Yeah. And Eucharist, that almost, you can, we can go all the way back with that one as well. Yeah. The idea of communion. We will be. <laughs> we will be. That's yeah. the point. Um, but it's also to give you guys more of an in-depth look at stuff that happens in churches all the time. Yeah. I mean, our church, we do communion once a month. Hopefully it adds meaning to those moments in which you're invited to partake. Yeah. So thanks for... Hey, this is Paul again. Um, If you listened all the way to the end, congratulations. But this is a reminder that our beers and Bible meet at the horse's mouth this coming... um, Oh, sorry. This Wednesday, the 31st of January. We meet around about 8.15. So that's open for everybody. Um, We just sit around table and uh, drink beer and talk about the Bible and God. Jesus and all that fun stuff. So yeah, feel free to join us over at the Horse's Mouth in Belding, Michigan.